Thank you, team, and thank you, Andy and family, and Hunter. Uh, welcome, everyone. Glad you're here with us today. What a wonderful, very energizing, full, and exciting week we had here at CNBC this week. It was uh, a joy and a privilege to come in here every night and to see many, many children running throughout the building with giant smiles on their faces, uh, to see volunteers just pouring out their hearts and their lives uh, to these students and spending time with them, investing uh, the Word of God and, and just celebrating the work of the Lord together. And so I just want to take a minute and just thank our volunteers for VBS this week. Great job. I believe we were around 130 total children registered, uh, and I think around 40-some volunteers maybe in, in that range. So it was just uh, absolutely uh, incredible to witness and behold. And, and we know, we know that the Word of God never returns void, ever. Every ounce, every second, every moment of investment is worth it and will be used of God in the future. And so we can sit here today thankful uh, that God did work this week in the life of our community. So a question as we continue in our study today, and, and I hope in regards to where you're sitting right now, your answer to this question is yes. This is Calvary Monument Bible Church, if you were wondering. <laughs> Do I belong here? Do I belong here. Is this the place I'm supposed to be? Am I known, loved, valued, welcomed, received? Do I know and understand how I fit in and contribute? Do I feel connected? These are important questions. They're the questions that we ask either through our words or our behaviors our entire lives. We arrive at a place, we step in, and immediately we begin to look for signs that confirm that either we belong or we don't belong. And sometimes, friends, we don't belong. I remember a long time ago, years back, I was in high school, my friends and I went to a restaurant together and they were trying to do something silly and fancy with the restroom signs. And I walked into a restroom with the sign that I thought was the men's sign for the restroom. And when I got in and turned the corner and there was a lady at the sink washing her hands and she looked at me and went, ah! I immediately knew. I didn't have to go any further. I do not belong here. And I turned and I left. But there's been other times that I've talked to folks before. I was talking to somebody not long ago that was visiting a church, and I said, how'd it go? How, how, did, how did you feel? And they said, well, we, we visited for a number of weeks, and I said, did it feel like a place that you could call home? And they, would say, and they said to me, they said, no, quite honestly, it didn't. And I said, okay. I said, what did it feel like? It, and they said this. It's very interesting. It felt like I was invited to a high school reunion, to a high school that I had never attended before. There was all kinds of inside jokes that I didn't know 
and understand there were all kinds of packs and groups of people that seemed to know one another, but didn't really know me or care to know me. And I attended for a few weeks, and no one really seemed to make any effort to get to know me. And so after two or three weeks, I just didn't feel like I belonged, so I slid out the back door. And I've begun visiting other places. That hurts. How does feeling like we don't belong affect the way that we might contribute or participate within a community? And what about those of us who have struggled or wrestled for a long time with the sense of belonging? I'm sure there are some here in the building today or, or even watching or listening online whom for a long time have struggled with a sense of belonging. How do I fit in? How can I contribute? How difficult is it sometimes to go to work, to come home, to go to this or that family gathering and participate in this or that activity when we simply feel like an outsider? It can be draining. Perhaps seemingly feel even impossible. And over time, feeling like an outsider, feeling like we don't belong, our energies, our endurance, it fades. We start to give up, to feel as if it isn't worth it. Sometimes even getting to the point where we believe like we have little to nothing to contribute at all. So our walls go up. We start to protect ourselves. We can isolate. We can dislocate. We can separate, divide, break away. Feeling like an outsider is no fun. You know, the Apostle Paul, he knew a lot of new Christians who very much felt like outsiders. Their sense of belonging to the Christian community was strained. They struggled to see how or even if there was a way that they could contribute to the work of God. Paul sensed the turmoil of these early believers. He saw their energies. He saw their perseverance was starting to fade. He wanted to encourage and reinvigorate them in a, in a way that would stir them up and strengthen them. And so, from a prison cell, he wrote a letter to the Gentile followers of Jesus who were living in a Roman or Greek city of Ephesus. No longer did they fit into the Greek world and the Greek ways of thinking, and certainly they saw themselves as outsiders within the traditional structures of Judaism. Even if those structures maintained a commitment to Christ, these early Gentiles simply did not feel like they belonged. And so in his letter to Ephesians, Paul sits out to remind these newbie Christians that they have not been forgotten. In chapter 1, he wants them to know that he sees them. He's considering them as belonging. He understands their pain and struggle. He's telling them even how he is praying for them. And in this magnificent and powerful prayer of Ephesians chapter 1, Paul's reminding these people gathered of all that they had been given by God in Christ. He wants them to hear, to see, to know that the Holy Spirit is theirs as well. 
And then in a seamless transition, we begin to read chapter 2. And in chapter 2, God has mightily worked to transform his people through this free gift of grace and mercy that he's given. The heart of this message is that no one worked to earn or to receive this gift. It was a gift that was given freely by God, not not as a result of anything anyone did or didn't do. Friends, Christianity is not built by people who are outliving, outclassing, outworking, or outinheriting one another. No one can boast. We are all, before Christ, equally dead. This is the case. No one's less dead than anyone else. And likewise, all are equally made alive. God does not make zombies or Frankensteins. Now that doesn't mean that we always live or act as if we are fully alive in Christ. Simply we don't. But God's word is clear. All who are in Christ are made alive. We are new creations. And so there's a verse in chapter 2 that bridges us from the individual realities of those who are in Christ to the collective realities that we share, and that's verse 10. Verse 10 says this, For we are his creative work, having been created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared beforehand that we can do them. Those made alive in Christ are his creative work. We've been created for good works, prepared in advance so that we might walk in them. And when God draws a community of individuals who have been created in Christ Jesus with great purpose together, something magnificently life-giving and fruitful should happen, both within and without of our communities. And while all of this amazing, powerful, uh, beautiful, and true things are taking place, there's still this group existing in Ephesus feeling as though they don't belong. They're in Christ, yet they feel like outsiders. In the New Testament, these people are often given the title Gentiles, and in today's text, It's even a little bit more unfortunate. They're given the title of the uncircumcised. And we start to see a dilemma of discouragement that Paul is writing to subvert. Paul's aim is to renew and to refresh. Fresh and life-giving insights, reminders that would affirm our position in this space that we call the body of of Christ. Paul's message in the verses we're going to explore today is you belong here. You belong. Here you are loved, you are seen, you are valued. And this is not just your home, but someone else of eternal worth and value also dwells here with us. There is hope here, there is peace here, there is purpose here, 
the presence of God dwells in our congregations. This is an intentional and a high ideal for Christian communities to be able to cultivate a strong sense of belonging within our congregations. Friends, it's hard. It's hard to be concerned that everyone feels a part. Everyone understands that they are to be contributing, that they're valued, that they're loved, that they're seen, that they're known, and that they belong. And so as we approach our text today, we might come asking that God would teach us how we might, as a church, as a Christian community, collectively live and practice our faith in a way that would honor him by encouraging a sense of belonging and participation within our congregation. How do we live and practice our faith in a way where everyone feels as though they have something valuable and worthy to contribute to the overall life and ministry of the body? If you have your Bibles, you want to take them now and turn them on or open them up to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 11 to 22 today. Ephesians chapter 2, 11 to 22. And before we read the first few verses, let's take time to pray. Father, thank you for your word. It is alive. It is active. It works. Your spirit uses it, Lord. In ways beyond our imagination. We have no full comprehension of how your spirit goes forth and applies to each one exactly what they need. But yet, Lord, this is the promise that we've been given. And so we gather as a community and we study together in this corporate exercise so that we might live in a way that honors you. Lord, we live in community with one another. We're born into community in our physical birth and in our spiritual birth. We're born again into a Christian community. And yet, Lord, many of us spend a large portion of our lives feeling as though we're on the outside. We just don't fit in. We can't find how we belong. And yet, Lord, your word teaches us that you have designed us with incredible purpose. That your creative work is seen in the things that you've prepared beforehand for us to walk in. And so, Lord, we want to honor you by cultivating a community where anyone that you bring into the church of CMBC would feel welcomed, loved, known, seen, valued. Like they can contribute and participate. And it's through texts like these, Lord, that you might teach us how we can do that. So we pray that your spirit would work now today as we study together. We give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul is going to begin in verse 11 through 13 by rehearsing how those who were once far off had now been brought near. Let's start in verse 11 of chapter 2. Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision that is performed on the body by human hands, that you were at that time without the Messiah, alienated from citizenship of Israel, strangers 
to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Let's just pause there. You see the labels at the beginning? Labels are a source of a lot of division and antagonism in our world today. And as Paul's words remind us here, this habit of labeling those who are different is not a new behavior for people of faith. Now, circumcision is an outward sign. It's performed by the hands of man. It's a sign that set one group of people apart from another through the ancient Near Eastern world. The work of Jesus removed the labels from both those who prided themselves in being circumcised physically and those who saw themselves as outsiders because of their lack of circumcision. And so in verse 12, Paul goes on to identify five ways that Gentiles, those who were not considered of Israel, those who were in a pejorative way referred to as the uncircumcised. What he does in verse 12 is he shows five ways that they were lacking. First, they were without the Messiah. There was no corporate or national awareness that anticipated or even communicated a need for a Messiah. Two, they were alienated. They were excluded as true citizens of Israel. The third, they were strangers. They were unaware. They had no knowledge of God's covenants or his history of past faithfulness. They simply didn't have the same documents that the Jews in the church at the time would have had. Those scrolls, the Gentile believers did not understand them, read them, study them the way that those within Judaism would have. Fourth, they were hopeless, ignorant to the persistence of God's presence. And is there, is, is there anything more hopeless than that? Not realizing, not seeing, not understanding, not being compelled that God is present, that he is active in the history of his people. Those that live without hope often have these questions. Is there anything more than this? Is there a God who is with us? Is there anyone who truly cares about what's going on here at all? Is this really all there is? Birth, life, death. Paul says those who were uncircumcised were hopeless. And then the fifth, as a result of this, Gentiles or those considered as uncircumcised lived without any idea of God in a very dark, divided, and hostile world. And when we consider all of this, we can understand why the situation seems so bleak and hopeless. And yet, from the beginning of the scriptures, God has been seen to be the savior of the world. Not just a savior for those who were Jewish. Now someone might ask, how can we know this? How can we trust this? How can we see that God is as committed to the whole world as he was to his first children of promise? And evidence 
of God's plan for the salvation of the nations is throughout all of the scriptures, not just the New Testament. We see it through individuals who are invited to participate in the grand narrative that leads to Christ. But we also hear it through the lips of the prophets who gave hope to surrounding nations. Noah, when he was called, he was not Jewish. When God called Abram, Abram was not Jewish. Melchizedek, Job, Rahab, these were individuals without Jewish heritage. But the prophets, especially Jeremiah, extended the future implications of God's covenant promises to other nations, even nations who were actively working against Israel and Judah. Jeremiah writes the future of the future hope and restoration and renewal in the prophecy that he gives to Egypt, to Moab, to Ammon, and to Elam. He says Egypt was going to be destroyed, but eventually there would be life again. Moab was going to lament and mourn. Their doom was already determined. And yet the day was coming that God would make things right with the Moabite people. The Ammonites were going to weep and they were going to mourn. However, in Jeremiah 49, for them too, one day, a day was coming when God would set things right. Elam would break under the desolation and violence of war. Again, God was going to eventually set things right for the Elamite people. Speaking to this reality, one author wrote the following words, quote, There is not one message for the insider and another for the outsider. The biblical message is the same for the Jew and Gentile. All of us, whether insiders or outsiders, start out in the identical conditions, which is to say we all begin as sinners. End quote. The labels that matter most then, that mattered most to the church in Ephesus and that still matter the most today, are not those who are circumcised or uncircumcised outwardly. Paul changes that, right? It's about who's experienced or who hasn't yet experienced the circumcision of what? The heart. The heart. It's about those who are in Christ and those who are not yet in Christ, those who have believed and those who have not yet believed. People who live and walk by faith and people who have not yet understood, realized, or been made aware of the reality and existence of God and his work in this world. And if we are friends, if we gather together and come together and worship and celebrate and live as a people of faith, then we would do well to remember this. For God so loved the world. The labels that have created divisions between those within and those without are overshadowed and overcome by the same person, the same object, and the same power. The person is Jesus. The object 
is the cross and the power is in his blood. Paul expresses this in verse 13, giving hope to those who had formerly been hopeless and were even now starting to feel a bit hopeless and discouraged. Look at what he says in verse 13. But now, but now, in Christ Jesus, you who used to be far away have been what? Brought near. How do we know? That we belong somewhere. When you go visit somebody, maybe you go visit a family member. Maybe you have that aunt that lives on the other side of the country. And every once in a while you get to go visit her. And when you walk in her home, you know you belong. Why? Because she brings you near. Even if you're like. We do that with God sometimes, by the way. We do. Think about it. We who were far off, together, been brought near by the blood of Christ. Regardless of our background, regardless of our heritage, regardless of any outward designations, all are brought near by the blood of Christ. Oh, and the implications of this reality. Paul moves right into the implications. The implications, one of them, is that we can have peace on every level. Peace with God, that's super important. Comes through Jesus. But also peace with one another. Also super important. Also empowered and fueled by Holy Spirit. But friends, something that's so much harder for us to work at here on earth. So how does it all work? How does this work in a place where people who were Jewish and practicing Judaism in Paul's day, they were not even allowed to dine with those who were not? How can there be peace between those parties if they can't even sit down and eat together? How does it work when the laws and the codes and the traditions were constantly pushing out and keeping away Those who were not from a Jewish background. If peace is possible among those who were saved out of the practices, laws, and traditions of pagan worship, and those saved out of the practices and laws and traditions of Jewish worship, how would this peace work? Take a look at verse 14. We'll read verses 14 to 16. For he, Jesus, is our peace. The one who made both groups into one. And who destroyed the middle wall of partition, the hostility. When he nullified, or a better way of understanding that is rendered inoperative. In his flesh, the law of commandments and decrees. He did this to create in himself one new man, a new corporate entity united in Christ out of two, thus making peace, and to reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by which the hostility has been killed. In Christ, God has called and brought together a diverse people 
and Jesus is the one who makes unity and peace among us a true possibility. Colossians says it's Jesus who holds all things together. And when people look to Jesus and believe on him for who he truly is, there is unity, there is joy, there is peace. But do we live like this is true? Is this our practice in relationships with one another? With others who also claim the name of Christ, yet may practice and live and worship differently than we do. Are we breaking apart and dividing up over matters that are other than Christ? In Paul's writings, he always comes back to the centrality of Christ. Jesus is the top priority. He says, I came to you knowing one thing. Do you remember what that thing was? Christ and him crucified. We start there. Jesus and his cross. Then as Paul continues to unpack the essentials of the faith, he moves to the resurrection. But there is little doubt in any of all of Paul's writings that the central focus, the well that holds the church together and all who are a part of it is Jesus. And Jesus is enough. Period. Hunter, you had no idea we were going here today, did you? Thanks so much for sharing the way you did and for being vulnerable and just sharing about the reality of being in a community during gap year with people who maybe come from some different understandings and practices of the faith and how difficult that that can be sometimes when we come out of our background to hold on to and cling to the things that we believe, our interpretations, and the challenge of being right instead of being loving. And it's important to be, more important to be loving than to be right. And I love how you shared that today as you were sharing. Both are important, both are valuable, but Jesus makes us right. And the goal is that we are to be loving first. Wow. You know, I, over the past few years, I've sat in my office and I've talked to people who disagree on various matters of the faith. Some Hunter brought up today, others different things. Some of them political, some of them social. And I've actually asked that question as I've sat in a room with believers, people who claim the name of Jesus, two people that love the Lord. And I've asked them this question, is Jesus enough? Is he enough? Two believers claim the name of Jesus, disagree. Is Christ enough to hold you together through your disagreements? And many times I've had people say, well, yeah, yes, amen. He is, and that's true because he is enough. And other times I've had people say, well, no, if they don't see things this way and the way that I see them, then no. I see it my way, and that's my interpretation, and no, that he doesn't believe in the real Jesus, or they don't believe in the real Jesus. That divisiveness, division, separation, tearing one another apart, biting and devouring one another, people that love the Lord, 
friends, this is come into churches in every place throughout the world. We have been trained to be really good at biting and devouring one another. But Jesus is enough to hold his church together. He's enough. And our focus is to be on him. You know, I've been trained up and taught over the years and uh, been raised up in a family that practiced and lived out our faith in a certain way. And as I've grown and traveled and been to other parts of the world, I've come to learn and see that there's a lot of people out there that live and practice their faith very differently than I do. And when I was a younger man, I was very concerned about always being justified. Just like the lawyer, always being right. And I wasn't very much concerned about being loving, being gracious, being merciful, while also holding on to the way, the truth, and the life who is Jesus. That's hard, church, but this is what community looks like. This is what relationship looks like. It's not you uncircumcised over there. You'll never get in here. Good luck. We're having dinner. You figure it out on your own. It's not the circumcised here, the uncircumcised. It's not the Jews here, the Gentiles here. It's one body that shares Christ. Jesus nullified and rendered inoperative the commandments of the law. Then... And any spoken or unspoken commandments that we still are writing for ourselves today. And we love the law, friends. We just do. By fulfilling the demands of the law, Christ rendered it inoperative. The law no longer holds any sway over or authority in the regulation of the life of God's people. Dietary laws fulfilled. Nullified. All the laws of washing, all the washing that, that the people from Jewish backgrounds have to do. Filled up by Jesus, nullified, rendered inoperative. The feast and the sacrifices where only certain people could participate. Now everyone was to be invited and welcome at the table. Everyone who shared Christ, one body. The great barrier that had divided the Jew from the Gentile, nullified in Christ. The hostility that the law created between peoples who couldn't dine and worship and live and do business with one another, removed. And in this, two of the great purposes for Christ's work are revealed. First, to create one new man, the church, out of two former groups, Jews and Gentiles. Our laws, our rules, our traditions, our standards, our ways are not the paths to peace with God and one another. In fact, it is our rules that often get in the way of our ability to have or make peace with others who also claim Christ but might think, live, and practice their faith differently than we do. It is the flesh, the, the blood, the body of Christ that makes us one. Jesus makes his church one 
body. The great outcome of this work was a new man. Paul's talking about the church. Christ nullified the law so it wouldn't get in the way of our unity and our peace, which is supposed to be found in him alone. And one of our persistent issues is we love the law more than we love Jesus. I preach to myself, friends. It's one of my persistent issues. Somebody said, what makes parenting so hard? Well, one, we have seven kids. That makes it really hard. And two, they just won't bow down to my idols. Man, that rocks my socks. All those laws that I've written. Hmm. I love the law. I'm supposed to love Christ a lot more. And, and the fact that we love the law more than we love Christ is one of the reasons our churches are so partitioned and divided today. We failed to live and believe as if Jesus is enough to hold us together through differences and disagreements. And we can say that he's reconciled us in one body through God, through the cross, by which he has killed the hostility between us. But sometimes I fail to live, act, or practice my faith as if that were true. No, that matter is just way too big. I'm sorry. And this is one of the reasons we have thousands of denominations, affiliations, worshiping around the same Jesus, but maintaining hostility towards those of this denomination that do this this way, or those of this denomination or affiliation that do or practice things that way. In the church, neither do Jews become Gentiles, nor do Gentiles become Jews. We won't be in heaven labeled as Baptists, Presbyterians, Pentecostals, Methodists, or otherwise. It's not going to happen. We won't have the labels. Well, I'm an African Christian, or I'm a Hispanic Christian, or I'm an American Christian, or even an evangelical or Protestant Christian. Rather, friends, we are all baptized into a new organism that is living vibrant and active, one that we all participate in. It's called the church. Are you a child of God through Jesus? That's it. Are you a child of God through the work of Jesus Christ? The answer is yes or no. And if the answer is yes, then let's go. Let's go, because we're going to be worshiping together for eternity. Let's go. Believing people from Jewish Baptist back backgrounds are made new in Christ. Believing people from Gentile backgrounds made new in Christ. Jesus Christ is the common denominator. All equally made new in Christ. The second purpose revealed through this work of Christ, the first was to create one body, the second was to call that body to himself. Look at verses 17 and 18. And he came, and he, this is Jesus, preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. The message was the same. 
for the Gentile and for the Jew. He didn't change it. Verse 18, so that through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Through this work of destroying the wall that divides and creating new, a new body, Jesus is calling and drawing unto himself members who will make up this body. People from every nation and tribe and language and people group of the world. I'm so glad Andy's here today representing another country in the world, Costa Rica. People of that nation in speaking the Costa Rican language, which is a form of Spanish, right, Andy? They're going to be with us in heaven, and we're going to understand their language and their words. No longer is faith practiced within Judaism the only vehicle that gives one access to God, but now it's faith practiced by and in the Spirit that is the vehicle that gives access to God. One Spirit the same spirit given in the same measure to an impoverished child growing up in the desolation and difficulty of poverty as it is to an adult ruling as a tribal leader in an unreached people group village in Papua New Guinea. The same spirit. And those who have access to the spirit, whether they live in China, France, Yemen, Portugal, Haiti, or Burkina Faso, they are our sisters and our brothers. In Christ, And this is a supernatural wonder and mysterious miracle of the one body in Christ, the church. Out of many nations, we become one body through Jesus. All are important. All are valued. All have gifts to contribute. All have wisdom to share. All with meaningful, practical, and precious ways to practice, live, and and share their faith? Are we willing to learn and grow together as that one body? Author Kenneth Cragg said it so beautifully. He said, God, he said, quote, the gospel has no native country. He who goes out humbly with Christ in the world of all races will perpetually discover the multiple but constant relevance of what he takes. It takes a whole world to understand a whole Christ, end quote. The body of Christ, friends, until he returns, until Jesus returns, it cannot die. It's a body that Jesus is going to continue to build until he returns for his bride. The lives, the voices of the saints, they remain with us in their countless volumes of church history, and the prayers that they've prayed that have been written and handed down for us for times when we're going through our own struggles and we don't have the words to pray for what we're experiencing. The biographies and memoirs of faithful servants who have lived and moved and burned bright for Jesus and His church continue to motivate and encourage us today as we read and study and learn about how God worked through the lives and the ministries of so many who have gone before us, that great cloud of witnesses, their readings, their interpretations, their understandings of the scriptures. They give us wisdom and insight from the past. We have a multi-dimensional body. It's a global body. Its vastness knows no bounds. This is the body of Christ from east to west, from north to south, across the oceans and the seas, from one continent to the next. The strand that holds us all together is Jesus 
Christ. It's a historic body. More than a global body, it's a historic body. It spans centuries, reaching back into the corridors of time. We do not lose those who die in the Lord. Their gifts and their lives and their words, they reverberate throughout our hallways and sanctuaries and fellowship spaces. It's a supernatural body. It's a body that is living and active and powerfully used by Jesus to draw more people unto himself so that none might die in their unbelief. All of this, and isn't this amazing? Church, this is fun. This is amazing. This is powerful to be part of a body like this. We, CNBC, we're just one small, minute speck on this massively global and historically supernatural body, perhaps, but a freckle, but a vital and important freckle nonetheless. We, church here, CNBC, local body of Christ, we are part of the beauty that make up the bride of Christ. I saw that this week. I saw it in action this week, the week of VBS. I watched this happen in our own community. Volunteers of all ages, youth, adults, older adults, all coming together, serving children, children coming in, hearing the gospel. And you know what? Ministry's messy. So things happened. Something got lost here. Something went missing here. We ran out of stuff here. And the call was made, and it was, it was amazing to watch. Boom. And the need was met. This is it. It's, it's amazing to watch the body of Christ at work. But I don't just see it the weeks of VBS, church. I see it when we have people in our church and in our community that are going through really difficult things. And we have some of that right now. And you know, when somebody shows up with a meal, somebody sends a card, makes a phone call, does a visit, and it changes things. It has effect. Because this is how the body of Christ is supposed to work. This is what God does through his people as they love and care for and pour out their lives with one another. It's a habit of Paul when he's speaking of something significant with such overwhelming and eternal significance to demonstrate how all three members of the Godhead are represented in the work. And we have that in this passage, the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit. In verses 9 to 10, God is actively giving the gift of grace for salvation, the salvation of his people. God's preparing in advance the good work. Then in verses 13 to 17, through the cross, Jesus has brought near those who were once far off. Now we're one body, his body. Hostility's been killed those who were uh, once not there are there now. Peace and reconciliation are found in Christ. Then in verses 18 to 22, those who are united body are given access to the Father through the one same Spirit. The Spirit who joins, builds, and ties us all together. In the body of Christ, there is no such thing as outsider. There are no foreigners. There are no immigrants. All who come to the Father through Jesus are fellow citizens of one body. Look in verse 19. So then, you are no longer foreigners 
and non-citizens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household because you have been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole building being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling place of God in the spirit. Imagine the hope and the purpose and the certainty that was established within those who were hearing these words for the first time in Ephesus. People who, from the moment they were received into the church on many levels, felt like foreigners, felt like non-citizens and outsiders. Now they've been brought together through the work of God. Amazing. Through our Western lenses, uh, we like to talk about the foundation, right? Foundation, so important. If there's a crack in the foundation, the whole building is going to fall. And so we spend a lot of time in our, through our Western lenses talking about foundation. But to the Eastern church and in the world from the Eastern eyes, which is who's Paul's writing to here, there was no part of a building that was more precious or more valuable than the cornerstone. That was the most precious and most valuable part of a building. And the cornerstone of the church is Jesus Christ. The most precious and valuable stone in our building is Christ Jesus. Everything depends on him. A few years back, they were taking down the bridge over Beaver Valley Pike. Anybody remember that bridge? You used to stay there. All the trucks would get stuck under it and have to turn around, and it was a big mess. And, and you know what holds those bridges up, those old tunnels? You want to know what holds those old tunnels up? There's a stone. Does anybody know the name of the stone? The keystone. Yeah. You pull the keystone out, and guess what happens to the tunnel? Falls in. It's kind of like the cornerstone. It's important. It's the most valuable, important stone. But you know, the implication of these verses is that the work is not yet complete. We the people, the stones, beautiful, unique in our colors and our contributions, the building blocks of the church, we're still under construction God is not finished. He's adding new believers daily. We're a spiritual temple that's spread throughout the earth that began on the day of Pentecost that's going to continue until the rapture. And what I find most hopeful in a world so divided and so polarized and partitioned and broken is that God's presence remains. He is here and he is at work. He keeps us together. And here we stand, invited in, once outsiders, we're no longer considered as such, rather we're vital and contributing. Through Jesus, we've been made insiders, members of one family, one body, children, priests, flesh, and blood. And church, membership into this body is one of the great blessings available to all believers of this present age, and we should give God glory for it. Theologian author John Stott once said this, quote, I wonder if anything is more urgent today for the honor of Christ and for the spread of the gospel than that the church should be and should uh, and should be seen to be what by God's purpose and Christ's achievement it already is a single new humanity a model of human community, a family of reconciled brothers and sisters who love their father and love each other, the evident dwelling place of God by his spirit. Only then will the world believe in Christ as the peacemaker 
Only then will God receive the glory due his name. End quote. So just a few thoughts as we conclude today, ways that we can encourage this collective participation in our community. First, we can welcome and receive one another with peace and joy. Friends, there are new people that visit every week at CNBC. We have a book out there every week. There's at least one, sometimes two new names in it. If you see someone new, if you see someone in the community who's just moved into your neighborhood, is new, looking for a relationship, maybe they have a church background and they're thinking, man, I would love to find a good church to plug into. Welcome, receive them, invite them to be part. Do it with joy and a spirit of peace. We can pray for one another. This is one of the great ways that we participate in the body of Christ that we often overlook and undervalue so many opportunities for prayer within our community. This week in our bulletin alone, we have this list of how we can pray for our global partners. This is so important, friends. I can't, I can't communicate enough how important prayer is. Whether we're doing it in our homes every day of the week or whether we come to the building on Wednesday night or Saturday morning, man, there's prayer here as well. There's opportunities to pray all around us. It's important. We can grow together in grace and mercy and compassion as we serve. I saw that this week in our VBS ministry. It's incredible to see what took place here. And we can give a spirit of generosity and share with those who are living around us generously when they're in need. And we can support and send those who God has called and uniquely equipped to go to various places in the world. Friends, if you're sitting here today, one of these five areas, if you're feeling like an outsider, like you don't fit in, like you're not quite sure how you can contribute or participate, one of these five areas should be able to give you a pathway or a direction on, on where to go. And if you have questions, please reach out to a staff member, uh, myself or any of the other pastors or elders. We'd love to point you in a direction on how you can participate and contribute if you're wanting to use your gifts more within our community. You are valuable. You are important. Every one of you, whether you're here in the building today or watching online, this body here in Paradise, Pennsylvania does not work without your contributions. It doesn't. We need them, every last one of you. And Jesus is using them and working through them to grow the church here and abroad as our team comes. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the testimony of Jesus. Thank you for his sufficiency. Lord, the body that he gave, the blood that he poured out, it's enough. And when we come to you by faith through him, we've acknowledged the blood and we've believed in the body of Christ and the resurrection and all that it means for our future hope. Lord, there's salvation, there's freedom, there's deliverance, there's life eternal. And we share that with a global community of Christians. Break us free from our packs and our huddles. Break us free from the ideologies that pin us down and hold us apart from others who share the same body. Lord, that, that's hard because we have to learn how to love those who sometimes practice their faith differently than we do. And that can be scary and uncomfortable. But Lord, we know that this is who you are. That you have created a church 
that represents your character and your work in this world. We give you thanks for Jesus. We thank you for the power of his word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit who's indwelling every believer, pooling us together, holding us together through Christ. Help us be effective for you. In Jesus' name, amen.